when we were talking about just where to host this session, we were just trying to think of, hey, where, you know, of all the rooms on our campus where we could meet that has space, where would it be? And when the guys mentioned, what about the chapel? I thought, wow, really, what better place to hold this session than in a chapel? And here's why I say that. On my wedding day, when the back of the church doors opened and I came down the aisle, here's what I was thinking. I was looking at my husband, who was standing up front with the pastor, and all the way down the aisle, I thought, man, this is awesome. I cannot wait to marry Mr. Wonderful. He is going to be my everything. We are going to have kids. We're going to have the white picket fence, which I made him build. We are going to have the SUV in the driveway, which we went into debt to get. We are going to have the Labrador Retriever, who's well-behaved. I mean, all of those things, all the expectations that I had of Rawl as I was coming toward him. But what I didn't tell him was, see, on the back of my gown, I was bringing to the altar my past. I was bringing hurts, habits, hang-ups, I was bringing how my mom and dad had modeled marriage. Which, by the way, my mom is uber control. My dad was very passive. And so my husband did not get the, <laughs> the note that, man, I was going to wear the pants in our family and be in charge. Nor did he know that on the back of my dress was childhood sex abuse. That's part of my story. Ladies, one in four of us That's our story. And you better believe that plays a part in the marriage. Men in the room, one in six men, that's part of their story. And so I say that because our past definitely plays a part in the marriage. And if Raul were in here, you know, and and you'll get to meet him tonight if you guys come to re-engage, but he would tell you, same thing, that he had expectations of me as I came closer to him. And you can hear more about that tonight. Nobody stands at the altar and thinks, hey, a few years into this gig, I'm going to look at you and, and think that you're not enough or you don't measure up, or maybe the guy at the office or the girl that I met at the coffee shop is going to be better than than who I said I date. I do, too. Nobody does that. And just as in our story, it was nowhere on the radar. And so when you come alongside a couple where affair is part of their story, and there's a very great percentage that possibly some of you in this room right now, that's a part of your story, And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about what to do as soon as a couple confesses, and then I want to talk about the 10 truths that we need to remind them of, and you each should have a handout. You got one when you walked in. And then I'll also talk about some of the other handouts that I've given you that that I hope that you'll find helpful. I tell you what, another part of my story is I couldn't purchase enough extra cell phones I had credit cards hidden all over the house. I slept with cell phones. I had SIM cards hidden inside of my purse that I would trade out. I had secret bank accounts to hide money so that I could go and do what I wanted to go and do. 
I made sure that every lie was backed up with another lie, thousands of phone calls, emails, text, you name it. I would even go to hospital waiting rooms and use their cell phone, I mean, excuse me, their phone in the waiting area to make contact with the affair partner. I would go to the bank and I would get rolls and rolls of quarters. And I would drive around and I would try to find as many pay phones as I could find so that I could make phone calls and make contact. And I share that with you because I was just like the crack addict. I, I couldn't wait to get my next hit of either talking with this person or being with this person. If you look at some research that Dave Carter has done, this is quite staggering. 50 to 65% of husbands will be unfaithful by age 40. 45 to 55% of wives. 36% will have an affair with their coworker. Psychology Today reports that 74% of men would have an affair if they knew they wouldn't get caught. 68% of women would be unfaithful if they knew they wouldn't get caught. Staggering. The trauma of infidelity is like open heart surgery without the anesthesia. It overwhelms a person's ability to think, to process. They feel crazy. It's their hope, their dream was shattered. What they thought marriage would be has now been pulled out from underneath them. The security in their safety has been threatened. The very foundation of who they thought that person was has been rocked. And it's, it's really comparable to the sudden death of a loved one. Healing is a grieving process. It's not just that we confess or it's found out and now it's in the light that it's over It takes days, weeks, months, and sometimes even longer. The infidel can even grieve the loss of the relationship. Betrayed grieves the loss and the trust in the marriage. I think there's there's four things that we need to do right away when coming alongside a couple when this is part of their story. I had heart surgery when I was in my 30s. I'm now in my 50s and beyond. But back in my 30s, I ended up in the emergency room and something had to be taken care of right away as far as an electrical pathway. But when I got to the hospital, I realized that people just came from everywhere because it it was an emergency. Something traumatic had happened. And so when you think about an affair being brought to light in a marriage, it's just like that person ending up in the emergency room. And all of a sudden, there were nurses and doctors that came to my aid right away. And so just as with you, when you're coming alongside a couple where this is part of their story, you want to connect with them as soon as possible. You do. You just want to make that connection, whether it's, hey, we're going to come to your house, hey, I'm going to meet you wherever, I'll come to your office. You might even, if you can't meet with them in person, it is grab the phone, I'm going to give you a call, let's talk. You want to, at that moment, show them, hey, there is help. You're not alone. I'm willing to walk through this with you. And sometimes one of the most powerful things that you can do right in that moment is, hey, 
Let's pray. I've been in the most amazing opportunities the Lord has given me with couples in that moment of just absolute brokenness, of just saying, hey, you know what? We're going to just take five minutes and just bring this to the Lord, and we pray for each other. You want to acknowledge their state. You want to validate them, and you want them to know, hey, I, I hear that you're hurting, and I hear that you're suffering. You also want to make sure that you connect with both of them, not just the one that's been betrayed, but you also want to meet with the one that has committed adultery as well. You want to encourage the betrayed to work at understanding their spouse's experience, to ask them to commit to the recovery process. You want to ask questions like this, like, I know you've been through a lot in the last 24 hours. Tell me how you feel right now. How is it that I can best help you? Let them be the one that guides the conversation. What, what do you need right now? How can I help you right now? Do you want me to just sit with you? Do you want me to just listen and pray? Tell me how I can best serve you right now. In that moment, again, it's that most pivotal moment that we can take the hurt of a broken person and bring it to the Lord. And we want, our job should be to help them find God's direction. You want to make sure that you don't act surprised when they share the story with you. Something that we use around here is the technique of the toe curl. So right now, I want everybody in this room just to curl your toes. Nobody in this room knew that you were curling your toes. When couples open up and begin to share with you the story, whether it be the infidel, the one who has committed adultery, or the betrayed, the one who's been sinned against, you want to make sure that no matter what that story is or how painful, how catastrophic, how chaotic it sounds, you want to be calm here, listening, eye contact with that person, you know. If it's the story of the cray-cray, of all cray-crays, you curl those toes, because the minute that you show shock or, or gasp or, oh my gosh, or any sense of judgment, they'll shut down. And they're not willing to tell you anything else. We have learned in working with couples in crisis, man, the more that we are calm and the more that we just continue to love them and be patient and allow them to guide the conversation, they will tell you more and more and more. One guy said, well, I guess I just can't wear flip-flops when I'm meeting with, you know, couples in crisis. And I said, no, probably not. One of the the favorite passages I love to think about in this is um, just Psalm 107, verses 19 to 22. And what I love about these verses is really four things are happening. There's a problem, and the people cry out. They pray. The Lord always provides, so there's provision. And then finally, the last part is the praise. And so just, when I look at Psalm, I just think, man, that is pretty much the theme of the entire book of Psalm. And you want them to know in that moment these things. Man, the Lord is good. He loves you. He's in control. And you can trust him. Gary and Mona Shriver have written a book called Unfaithful. They also have a website called Hope for the Healing. And 
one of the things that I gained from some of their books was um, there, there really are, there are 10 truths that you can use in walking with a couple through crisis. And so I've given you just a doc that has fill in the blank. So we're going to talk through some of these. First thing that you want them to know is they're not alone. They're not alone. I mean, you've, you've, you've heard this, the percentages earlier. Adultery can be a very isolating event. You want them to know that others have been through this and have healed. You want them to know, hey, I'm willing to walk along beside you no matter how messy this is. Your story is not going to scare me. It's not going to make me run out of the room. It's not. Remember, your job is to point them back to Christ. You want them to know that you're going to be part of their team. You want to remind them that God is still there. And a great verse on that one is just 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. I mean, grace, power of Christ in us is more important than the freedom of pain. You want to remind them of the presence of a huge God and point them to Psalm and Proverbs. Now, this is something that I found really helpful in my journey. And um, of all people to share this with me, it was my gynecologist, come on, get a laugh, and the nurse. And they happened to be husband and wife team. And as my story came out and I was sharing with him in, in one of the checkups, he just is a believer and he just said, man, the best book I can ever go to to be reminded of God's provision is Psalm. And then Proverbs, just good old godly wisdom. And so one thing that we started with was we just took five chapters of Psalm a day and a chapter of Proverb a day and made that just our go-to time with the Lord. In the book of Psalm, we were reminded, hey, God loves us. He's good. He's in control. He always provides. And then Proverb, just good old reminder of what it means to live life as a believer. And so we often will give that as kind of a first passage of, of, with our couples and helping them get well. You want to assure them that you will pray on their behalf. One of the best things that women did for me in our journey was, even if we couldn't meet in person, they would text me just verses. Or, hey, I just want you to know that I prayed for you today. And it was just so amazing just to hear throughout the day that I had other gals praying for me and thinking of me and supporting me. Number two is you want to remind them that there is hope. There is hope. Others have healed from infidelity. The stories of hope that you're going to hear and re-engage even tonight if you come to the worship center. You can also go to our our website, marriagehelp.org. Dozens and dozens of stories where infidelity has been part part of their past. They need to know that they can heal. They need to know that it's hard that it's going to take time, but they can survive. Romans 5, 3, 5, just rejoice in suffering. Brings endurance, character, hope. It's not to be put to shame because of the Holy Spirit in us. And that oftentimes suffering produces good results in the life of the believer. You want them to know that they can survive. Healing is a choice. Oftentimes, we'll look at a husband and wife and just say, hey, do you want to get well? If you do, we have a clear path 
We have a plan in place to help you get there. But do you and are you ready and willing to do the work it's going to take in moving forward? They don't have to be stuck where they are forever. They're also going to learn that they're going to move to a place where the affair is maybe not completely forgotten, but it's not going to dominate every second of every minute of their day. Issues don't just go away. Infidelity is, is not, it's not, that's not the issue in the marriage. It is a symptom, and I'm going to talk you through an exercise at the end of our time together that dives deeper into that. But the symptom is what the infidelity is. The issue is always that. It's a spiritual issue, issue of the heart. And we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. You want to remind them, hey, we can't shove this stuff under the rug. Some couples, especially the one that's been unfaithful, will want to just confess and say, okay, we're done, now let's move on. And it's like, no, we've got to go back to that wound. and We're going to dive a little bit deeper. You've got to stay there and stand ready and willing for the one that's been wounded to also navigate through his or her grief as well. There's a recovery process. The recovery process consists three things. First one is, I'm going to find ways to manage or minimize painful emotions. I've got to find a way to set boundaries in place. In other words, I don't want emotions to be what drive my day. If, not, then if it does, then I'm going to be crazy pants all day long. So I, I want to make sure that I find ways to manage and minimize the painful emotions. I want to have an understanding of, hey, how did the affair come about? And then finally, I want to come to a well-informed decision on how to move forward together in the marriage. Left in isolation, they're not going to make the best of choices. And so it's really important that they've got that support system in place. Number three, I chose the picture of the roller coaster because of just the way emotions ride the ups and downs through all of this. They need to know that they will not always feel this way. It's normal to have these feelings and emotions for this abnormal situation. You're going to affirm them that it's normal when they say things like, this is not the person I married. It's going to take time to figure it all out. The duration, the frequency, and the intensity of emotions will decrease over time. How long did it last? Those are questions the betrayed will want to know. When was the last time? What was the intensity? These can be good questions for them to ask. Number four, you want to encourage them to put speed bumps in place. So many times when an affair has been revealed, the betrayed will go immediately to, I want a divorce, I'm out, it's over. And so you want to come along beside them and help temper those emotions. Yeah, they're real. They're real. And they're, they're hurting. But you want to make them just press pause on divorce, not make any lifelong decisions in the moment of the pain but give us a chance to help to begin to walk along beside you and help you process. You want to just, man, take them to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You want them to rely on the Lord and not their own wisdom and understanding. 
again, going back to God is good. You can trust him. He's in control, and he loves you. It's going to take time to stabilize. And what I mean by that is, I mean, emotions are high. And in our own personal story, we, we had a season of separation. I, I went to stay with family members, and my husband was in our home. And so we, we had that season of separation where we both were still moving forward and working on the marriage. And so with some couples, if they need that first 24, 48 hours of, hey, I just, I just, I got to step back and process this, you want to walk them through what that will look like. And then I want to press pause on this because you want to make sure that they're spending time with people that are friends of the marriage. You want them to be with biblical community, people that are going to just remind them, hey, we're, we're going to do this God's way. Remember, he's good, he loves you, he's in control, you can trust him. Aside from a person saying, nope, divorce the loser, it's over. So you want to make sure that who they spend time with is a friend and supports the marriage. It is okay, like I said, to do like a, a you know, short-term separation. I will tell you this, it's much harder to work on the marriage if you're under two roofs. With us, in the, the, I guess you'd call it the emergency state of it all, we, we did that temporary separation. And when we made the commitment of, hey, we are, we're in this thing, we're going to work on the marriage, we're not sure, we're not sure how this is going to play out yet, but Lord, we're trusting you, you're good, you love us, and you're in control. I came back home, and I stayed in our guest bedroom. Raul was in a bedroom, I was in a bedroom, and here's what was so beautiful about that is it it was hard at first, no doubt. But what I got to see, I got to see men coming to our house, meeting with my husband, cracking open their Bibles, meeting with him, shepherding him, loving on him. He got to see women coming to the house, praying with me, leading me, giving me counsel that agreed with with God's word. And the beautiful part of that is is we, we got to see both of us moving toward healing in a way that honors the Lord. And I can remember there was a day where I was in our guest bedroom and I could see through the living area Rawl sitting in a chair with his Bible open. And we hadn't talked. We had said very little words for the last couple of days. And I remember on that day I thought, man, I'm just going to try to get a rise out of him. That's bad. I know. I'm confessing it. And so I walked through the living area hoping I could spur him on and we'd get into a good one so then I could just leave and say, yep, you're a jerk. I'm leaving. And I got to confess, I tried, and I was so amazed. Man, Raul Raul responded to me the way that God had called him to, loving, filled with grace and forgiveness, and it was so the opposite of what I had seen him do in years past. And so for me, it was like, oh my gosh, man, God is at work. There is healing, and I'm getting it to see it happen front stage and center in my own home. Sometimes they'll go through these bouts of, okay, yes, I want to work on the marriage, or, okay, no, I don't. I'm done. And then another day of, yes, I'm willing to work on this. I really want to try and do this. And then there'll be a trigger, a thought, perhaps an argument, and it's, no, I can't stand you. I I hope that you, you know, whatever. And so you want to say, hey, it's normal. It's normal for you to feel this way one day and then the next day not. And what you want to do is just that counsel coming along beside them is you want to remind them, hey, we're, we're moving forward. We're just moving forward. And there's going to be days that your husband may be a few steps ahead of you 
and you may be back here. And there's going to be days that he may, may, may be back here and you're up this way. And I love to use the hospital analogy because anytime somebody's had surgery, they wear the little blue gown, they've got the slippers on, the IV's connected, and they walk slowly. It's not, I've got the tennis shoes on, I'm sprinting the 100-yard dash. It is, man, I've been wounded, we've been hurt, there's care, we've got to do this heat counsel, take it slowly, one day at a time. Matthew 6, 33, 34 became our go-to verse. Man, just seek him first in all of his righteousness. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. And so what we learned in our just path to healing was every day we had to make a decision. Okay, today I choose. I'm, I'm going to do this God's way. Lord, I trust you. I'm going to abide in you. I'm going to do what counsel's telling me to do. I'm going to do the lessons that I'm called to do and re-engage. And when the next morning came, God, I trust you. Today, I choose to follow you. And so what I did, you know, just as the, the alcoholic will use the sobriety chips for every day that he's sober, I began keeping tally marks on a whiteboard in my classroom. I was still teaching at the time, and so my students began to ask me, hey, what's up with all those tally marks on the whiteboard? And I just said, hey, I just want you to know those are days that I've made the right choice and to live a life that honors God. And what that did for me is a physical reminder of, hey, today I chose the Lord, I did it his way, and it brought healing. Hey, that day I chose to do it God's way and it brought healing. And so by the time I got to 10, 15, 25, 35, 75 tally marks, guess what? There came a day that I no longer put a tally mark because the Lord, the Lord had changed me. And it was now just a natural way of living my life. Number five, they lose nothing more by trying. They lose nothing more by trying. They can't escape the pain. Healing the marriage will take less time. And healing requires two things. It requires that I agree to try. It means that the affair is over. There's no more contact. And so I've I've chosen the picture of just keyboard, cell phone, I mean, in, in the vision of the locked door. When we say, I'm, I'm in it and I'm committed to the marriage, that means that there's, it's done. There's no more. I, cell phone numbers have been changed. Email has been changed. There's, um, if, if this has perhaps happened at work, then, and this person is a coworker, then we have to widen the circle. A fresh case right now, the gal has gone to the HR director and has brought it to the light. And we're in the process with this couple of some job changes happening. I mean, there are consequences to sin. And so, again, it is we're trusting the Lord is good. He provides, you know, let him have his way in you. You know, just trust that what God has in place is going to work. And so we're still in the midst of walking along with that couple. But, I mean, if we're talking change jobs, then we change jobs. I mean, we get radical in our pursuit of healing. I use the image of the closed door. And I'm going to draw a picture in a few minutes, and I'm going to have you draw with me. But we have to understand, when I say that I'm committed, that I have closed and locked that door of escape, it's done. That I have chosen to stay committed to the covenant that I made with my spouse, and that I'm ending 
all contact with this person. The, the relationship is now over. They also have to understand that they've got to do like a detox and a reprogram. You know, y'all, my, my relationship, my running to these other men, it really was like running for the hit, the drug, the alcohol. And so there was a detox that had to happen. Well, if I remove something, then I've got to reprogram it and put something in its place. And so we have to go from moving from the sin that I've run to versus running toward Christ. And so the mind has to be renewed. And when the mind is renewed, then behaviors change. Write down this verse, 2 Corinthians 10.5. First verse that Roll and I ever memorized. I put it on an index card, cell phone. I mean, I had it everywhere. And it is, for we hold any speculation, any lofty thought held up against the knowledge of God, and we bring every thought captive in obedience to Jesus Christ. So in that reprogramming stage of recovering from infidelity, it was, man, I had to, books I read, the music I listened to, verses that I would begin to go to in my Bible, those had to be the things that renewed my mind. And what happened was behaviors changed, and I began to radically pursue Christ. Transparent honesty is a must you want to encourage them to tell it all right now. We gave, I gave, the Swiss cheese version. So guess what that did to the healing process in the marriage? Roll and I would make progress, and then, boom, the next shoe would fall, and then it would take us all the way back to the very, very beginning. And so with us, a technique that we used, and it, it worked, we wrote each other a letter And in the letter, just it was kind of like a confession of just everything. And, I mean, 15-page letter here. His was 16-page letter. We just, we sat in front of each other, and we said, okay, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read to you my letter, and I'm, I'm bringing everything to the light. But the agreement is you can't cut me off. You can't come back with a rebuttal argue, hey, what if? Your, your job is just to listen. And then the same thing from him to me. In seven hours on a Saturday. But it was the most healing moment ever in our marriage. James 5.16 says that we are to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. And then the last part of that verse, that's, that's the golden nugget. It's so that we can be healed. And so you want to make sure that, you know, hey, I realize that what I'm about to share is probably going to hurt you, but, man, um, here we go. And then just everything out, full confession, full confession. To the one that's been betrayed, sharing honest thoughts and feelings so the other person can see, hear, feel, and know what they're going through. Now I want to press pause and talk about just the intimacy part, sex. Some couples will say things like, man, I I want the full-blown, the autopsy report. I want to know where, when, what you had on, how many times. I mean, just boom, 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 boom. And so here's our counsel on that is we need to come to an agreement that sex is sex. Can we come to an agreement that sex is sex? Because here's what happens. 
if a spouse really presses in on and on and on and gets all the graphic details, now he or she has that visual that just plays in the mind over and over and over. And anytime there's a trigger, here it goes again. And it's just, it's just not wise. And so we, we always ask couples, hey, we're going to come to the agreement that sex is sex. Now I'm going to dive a little deeper. In the event that they have been intimate without protection, then we counsel, hey, our counsel is that you get an STD panel done. And most of your health services in the county will offer that. And so that is just, that is just part of the, the whole physical consequence of infidelity. And so that is something that we will counsel couples to do. Number six is they can base their decisions on truth. You know, just going back to James 5.16, bring it to the light, full confession. Proverbs 28.13, just he who conceals a sin will not prosper, but he who confesses shall find mercy. Some couples have found journaling, I did too, journaling to be really helpful during this process of, hey, this is what I'm thinking today, this is how I'm feeling today, and it just to kind of help process those thoughts and emotions. And so if you find that your couple enjoys journaling, most women really find that helpful. My husband is one of the, the few men, I think, that really enjoy journaling. But what Roll and I discovered through that was it just kind of became this talking to the Lord you know, like, God, this is how I'm feeling today. This is what I'm thinking. And then we would write down verses that, that maybe we had read that day. Also on this part, ask the betrayed spouse, kind of going back to the part about, you know, just the full disclosure, knowing all the details, just say, hey, you, you need to determine what it is that you want to know. Also, spouses need to understand that they need to give each other a safe place. Meaning, here's how it played out with us. Raul would come to me and say things like, hey, Susan, today I'm really struggling with fill in the blank. Now, instead of me getting angry and saying, hey, you've asked me that a bazillion times, you know, getting back into the cycle of fighting again, I had to learn to give him a safe place to come and ask me those questions. Even if he asked the same question four, five, ten, twelve times. And then the same thing with me. Rawl had to give me a safe place to come and ask him questions. And what that did was it really began to foster oneness in our marriage. And it really began to help us open up that line of communication with one another. Number seven, real important. Remind them that they are worthy of care. Again, this is, this is traumatic, and it affects you physically, you know, let alone emotionally and spiritually, but it, it affects you physically. And it's like that intense, severe, wounded patient going through healing. Some couples, will, will, when they process this, will either stop eating, just they don't eat, and they'll drop weight rather quickly, or they'll do just the opposite. They'll just try to feed the pain, you know, with food. And so you want to make sure that while they're going through healing, that they're getting adequate nutrition, rest, exercise. If this happens to be with a couple in your church, 
that is serving in a ministry. And we've had that happen, and perhaps you had too. We ask them during their season of healing, we have them step down from serving. So wherever they are, kids ministry, wherever they may be serving, we'll have them step back from serving for a season while they're moving toward healing and oneness in their marriage. It is okay to take breaks while you're healing. I know in the early stages of this, Roll and I were so focused on just the crisis, the crisis, the crisis of, are you getting better today? Am I getting better today? I mean, it was just draining. And so you want to encourage them, hey, step back, enjoy each other, perhaps go to dinner together, go for a walk together. Roll and I thought it would be a great idea to go see a movie. We hadn't been to a movie in a long time. And so we did not do our homework to find out what the movie was going to be about. I know, you're, you're looking at me like stupid girl. So we get to the theater, we buy the jumbo popcorn, the big Coke. I mean, I'm excited. We have, you know, this is great. Opening scene in the movie, guess what it was? Yeah. I got up, I turned to the gal next to me, and I said, hey, I didn't eat any of this popcorn. Would you like to have it? Of course, she said, yeah. Gave it to her. We went straight to the, the movie theater manager. We said, hey, we, we just can't watch this movie. It's just not going to go well with us if we do. And so can we get our money back? And y'all, he gave it back. So if you do choose to go to the movie, do your homework. One of the best things that we did in just taking breaks was just go for walks. We just, we did. We would walk through the neighborhood, walk to the park, go down to the lake. But just maybe some nights not even say a word to each other you know, but just walking together. Um, and then the more that we did that, there were times that we began to open up and talk. And then I remember the day that we were out walking and Raul reached over and grabbed my hand and just, we just kept taking those steps forward to, to getting well. Number eight, they can find help and you can help them locate resources We have a great resource, again, at marriagehelp.org. I've also listed several resources at the end of your handout that have been very, very helpful. The book Unfaithful, great book. Torn Asunder, awesome book. Dobson does a great job in the book Tough Love of showing the anatomy of an affair. He just breaks it down in these six to seven chunks, and I mean, he just, it's spot on. You want to help them find resources? Recovery, they like to read, point them to books. Definitely you want to point them to scripture. You can send them to the Reengage National Line where they can listen to testimonies. Community is key. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 just reminds us that we are to hold fast to the hope we have in Christ, that we are to encourage one another until the day we see fit. And so you want to make sure that they are surrounding themselves with people that are friends of the marriage. Number nine, they need to make wise choices about sharing with others. Wise, godly counsel is a must for healing. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen reminds us that iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. The circle of care needs to be tight. And it needs to come from God's word. And here's what Roll and I learned. When counsel could be laid right next to the Bible, it went well with us. 
Now, we had friends and family that gave us all kinds of advice and what they thought, but the, the circle of care that rallied around us, man, whatever they counseled us to do, we could open God's word and those two agreed. And so you want to make sure that your counsel and the friends that they're hanging around that, that, that agrees. Counsel's taken straight from the Lord's word. 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17, all scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, training, and righteousness, and we're adequately equipped for all good work. Telling the kids, this part, if the kids are age appropriate, I mean, just wisdom tells us that. You, if there, you know, there's no magic number on that. I mean, telling a younger child, you know, they're, they're not mature enough to handle that, so that would not be wise. Our girls were in college, and so you know our story. You heard it this morning. So when you counsel them as, hey, when or how to tell the kids, I mean, that's going to be a case-by-case, but always, hey, look at the maturity level of your kids and those that are age-appropriate. Number 10, they can have an advocate. They need someone safe to talk to. They need peer support to help them along this path, and obviously it needs to be the same gender for obvious reasons. You want spiritually and emotionally mature people that know how to handle the, uh, the word of the Lord and one that their spouse considers safe. Okay, here's what I want you to do right now. Why do you think people have an affair? Anybody? Don't be shy. Okay, unmet needs. What else? Okay. Mm, Unrealistic expectations. Hmm. Trying to fill God shaped hole. I, I love this picture. I think sin is like a duty covered in whipped cream and sprinkles. And so is an affair. It looks so sweet and enticing on the outside. I believe the lie that if I could go spend some time with somebody else, that it would be better than my husband. And what happens with sin is we we touch the doorknob, we go taste it, oh, that tasted good, so I want more, I want more, I want more. But underneath all of that, it stinks, it's chaotic, it hurts, it wounds, it destroys families. One of the best ways that I have ever discovered to share the gospel with a couple who is in crisis is to do what I'm about to walk you through. So I would love for you somewhere blank, find a blank side. I want you to draw a circle. And on the inside of that circle, I want you to draw two smaller circles. I want you to put, if you're with a couple, you want to put their name, so husband's name would go there, 
wife's name would go here. And you want to take them back to the day that they got married, and you want to ask them, wife, what were you expecting the day that you said I do? And it helps if you jot down what she says. Husband, what were your expectations the day that you married your wife? Jot down what he says. If this is a blended family, if this is their second marriage or beyond, outside of the circle, you you would draw like an additional circle. So if husband has been married before, you would draw a little circle here. Same thing with her. If there's kids involved, you know, you want to draw that as well, and I'll come back and tell you why in just a minute. We want them to see that everybody, the day that they say, I do, they have hopes, they have dreams, they have expectations that they're hoping this person will fulfill. They're looking at one another to meet and complete each other's needs. Here's what I wish the pastor had said the night that we walked down the aisle. I wish that he had said, instead of, I want to welcome you, Mr. and Mrs. Cox, for the very first time, I wish that he had said, hey, everybody, Mr. Imperfect has just married Crazy Pants. Pray for them because they are going to have trouble. They're going to struggle. And here's why. A broken woman did marry a broken man. It happened because we're all broken, right? So his sin, my sin, came to the altar. Man, the Lord does what the Lord does. In that moment of the I do, we came into covenant with him. But really, the pastor should have said, man, start praying for them right now because the truth of 1 Corinthians 7.28 is going to come soon. For those who marry, they will have trouble. With Roll and I, it was day two on the honeymoon. Day two. I'm looking at him like, what in the snap have I done? And he's looking at me thinking the same thing. So we're looking at each other. We're trying to meet and complete each other's needs. And when we cannot, then we start to look for a way out. These are doors. And as you're talking to this couple, you want to say, you know what? Some couples, when they realize, man, you're not who I thought you were. There's got to be something better. They will choose the door of divorce or separation. Hit the delete button, it's over. For others, they may turn to the door of drugs, street or prescript. Some may choose drinking. Some may choose money. Some may choose their job. Some may choose porn. Some may choose an affair, whether it's emotional or physical. Some will choose the door of just isolation. Here's a new one for the younger generations, video games, gaming. Most often when you're with a couple and you start to do this exercise, they'll lean over and start to tell you what their door is. So once we identify, we want to share them this with them this. John 10.10 10 tells us that the enemy is coming to do three things, to steal, to kill, to destroy. These right here 
are like that doo-doo covered, that sprinkle covered cupcake of I'm going to believe the lie that the temporary pleasures that these doors will bring is what will satisfy or fill the God-shaped hole. And we have to bring them back to this. The reason that people have an affair is because they're looking for something to meet and complete and satisfy other than Christ. And so when you, when you talk with them and draw this illustration with them, you want to take them right here and remind them Christ is the only one that's going to ever satisfy or meet and complete. And if I am committed to working on the marriage, then I'm going to close all doors and come back to this relationship right here. Sometimes you'll discover in this process that the husband or wife is not even a believer. Why wouldn't they choose, right? A non-believer is going to do what a non-believer will do, and so you will have opportunities to share the gospel with this illustration. One of your handouts that I've given you is a pastoral care sheet on verses that you can take your couples to. Our team got together and just, I feel like, did a really, really good job of just searching the Lord's Word. We've given you seven to eight steps for each one, for both the the infidel, the one that has committed adultery, the betrayed, the one who's been sinned against. This is a great reference to keep in your Bible when you're jumping into a pastoral care setting with a couple. And so this is just a great resource sheet for you. Another thing that we see over and over and over for couples that get well are the four C's. Some of you were in one of our breakout sessions yesterday and you heard us talk about this document. We have found, no matter what the crisis is in a marriage, couples that move toward health and healing, these four things are in place. Number one is that relationship with Christ. Number two They draw the circle around themselves, relationship with Christ. They're working on themselves. They're humbly confessing where they have undermined the marriage or brought pain into the marriage. The third component that they do is they close all doors of escape. They're committed to working on the marriage because they're committed to working in their relationship with Christ. And then number four is community. Roll and I... You know, you heard it in the video this morning. We did a really good job of isolating ourselves. And now what our marriage looks like now is we have six couples that we meet with every week. The men in this group question my husband, hey, how are you doing at loving your wife? The women in the group question me, hey, how are you doing at loving Rawl? And we we really hold each other accountable. And so that is something that has to be in place for these couples to get well. I wanted to give you, I think we've got a few minutes left. If you had any questions that you wanted to ask, I would love to give you a chance to do that. Or just ask about any of the handouts that I've given you. I will say this, it it is the favorite part of my day. And y'all may think that's crazy, 
But really, when the phone rings or the email or the couples will walk up to a church and say, hey, this is what's happened in the marriage, in that moment, really, the first 30 seconds that we spend with them is just a premium opportunity for us to take their pain, their hurt, their suffering, and say, hey, let's point you to the one that brings healing and oneness in the marriage. Infidelity is happening at an alarming rate inside the church as well as outside the church. And so I think the way that we respond to it has got to be radically different than what the world is calling them to do. And so I, I just I applaud you, those of you that have flown in from the four corners of the earth to be here, just to begin to take ground and helping couples get well. I just think that's amazing. Um, there's other recovery you know, there's the 911, there's marriage mentors, there's Rick Reynolds does what's called a fair recovery. Some of his material has been used by some of the couples as well. And you may even have some things already in place in your church. But just if anybody have any questions, I'd love to help answer. Yes, ma'am. So the question is, if one spouse is willing to work on it and the other that is, is, not, or is not willing right now to give up passwords and rights, what I heard you say. Yeah. And so that's a red flag. You agree? Yeah. And so in that case comes through often. And so we counsel First Peter 3, 1 and 2, where it talks about, hey, wife, even if the husband is being disobedient to the word, that your very obedience to the word, the Lord can use that to help turn the heart of that husband. We tell couples, hey, you can't make him stop. You can't make him do anything. So you're going to draw a circle around you, and you're going to work on you. Now, if he's still wanting to, I use the word bed hop, I mean, if this guy's actively still in the affair, you know, then we come in and say, hey, you know, we're going to do that short-term separation. Wife stands ready to reconcile. Husband stands ready to reconcile. You know, whoever's been unfaithful. And then we rally around them, working on you. You keep doing the things that we have asked you to do. They'll come to re-engage, you know. Um, they'll either be an open group or closed group. And then they just know that, hey, I, I can't change you. I can't make you stop, but I am working on me. I can't tell you how many times, man, God's just taken the obedience of that spouse to help turn the heart of the other. They can, they can go to open group. We wouldn't put them in a closed group until the spouse is ready to come, but yeah. Yeah, they go to open group. And so many stories where even that one coming alone, working on herself, working on himself, the spouse sitting at home begins to notice there's, there's something different about you. I don't know what it is, but I like it. I mean, we've got hundreds and hundreds of stories like that. Yes, sir. We, we really want them, we, it's like, hey, we, we want you right here. You know what I mean? I mean, we want to move them. We're, we're, our focus is on Christ and not the crisis. 
It is. We, that's, and that's what they're going to find and re-engage. Like those first eight lessons, it is all about, do you know who God is? Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know, even know what that love looks like in your own life? And so we do. And then like the last eight lessons are more the practical, putting those in, into play. Yes, sir. We don't. There's, there's, he asked if there's, how do you differ your process between emotional and a physical? I mean, it's, it's the same counsel. And so um, what I love about spouses that will even bring that to the light, the emotional part, because that's where mine started. It did. I mean, emotional fear definitely can oftentimes lead to a physical. And so the same counsel would be for both. Yes, sir. Yeah, Con- connect with them right away. Sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. Yes, all right, connect as soon as possible. Acknowledge their state. Let them be the one that guides the conversation. And then try not to act surprised or judgmental as they share. The toe curl moment. Welcome. Yes, sir. No, it was his, like everything, his posture, his emotional, I mean, everything about my husband, meaning he was calm state of mind. It wasn't when I started sharing that he just blew up into emotions and it went into an immediate fight. So safe place, meaning give me a place where I can come and openly, honestly share with you without you coming back with a rebuttal or, yeah, us getting into an argument. And guys, that took a lot of practice. And that took, it did, I mean, it took a lot of practice, and it took others coming along beside us. I mean, we, like, the first time we ever did that was in our living room with those five other couples. And it was things like this, hey, Raul, Raul, let her talk. We're asking you to be quiet and let her talk. And then, same thing with him. And that's what our couples will experience and re-engage. They're going to have their leader couple and the other couples in their group, you know, and so they'll be able to kind of set those boundaries and say, hey, bud, we need to hear her share her part right here. Yes, sir. Is your process the same if it's the second or third mm-hmm. Yeah, and also in that, if, if we get like a serial infidel that comes through, sometimes what we'll do is, hey, we'd love for you to go through regeneration first, which that's our recovery ministry that meets on a Monday night. We've had sex addicts come through, re-engage, and when we see that, hey, there's a significant addition, issue, problem right here that we're not even in a place where we can work on the marriage, we're going to ask that you go through this recovery process first, and then they'll come back and go through, re-engage. That, that happens quite often. We even have some gentlemen who, and gals, who've been through SA, SAA, Sex Addiction Anonymous, so they'll, they'll choose that path then they'll come back and go through re-engage. Yeah. Yes, sir. Great question. So what oftentimes what they'll do is they'll go to regeneration too. And they'll, you know, of course what happens is like here's a story. 
Husband, I'm not going to watch my time. Husband had multiple, multiple, multiple affairs. Prostitutes, women that he worked with. I mean, just multiple. And so we took him and said, hey, counsel is, we really want to work on this first. And so got him plugged in to regeneration. And then she began to come forward and identify some areas where she was choosing her way out as well. And so we said, hey, would you be you know, open to going to regen too? They're both moving in a direction of running toward Christ. She has the small group of other women rallying around her, plus a female leader. Same thing with this guy. Um, I can't tell you who they are for obvious reasons, but they're a, they're a leader couple in Reengage right now. Just, it's miraculous what God has done in that marriage. Miraculous what the Lord has done. And so, yeah, you'll meet them tonight. You just won't know who they are. That is cool. Yes, sir. Well, I would want her, first, I would, I'd want to spend some time with her, and, and I would really want, really, it's going to go back to Christ, and that's who I want her in a right relationship first, and I want her to know that the decision that the husband made, that's not her place to try to fill that void or to, to help heal that wound, and so in that case, I'd, I'd want to meet with her over coffee or lunch, I'd want to hear more of the story of what's, what's coming behind that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I'd want, I just would want her to know, hey, you're, you're not the one that's going to change your husband. No matter what performance you do or whatever you do, you're, you can't do that. And that's not healthy for her. You know, we, we'd want to spend some time with her and him. And with that being said, when couples, that, that first critical crisis moment, oftentimes we'll meet with them at least once. We want to bring them in, hear their story, and then we'll say, hey, we think the next best step for you would be be here on Wednesday night at 6.30. And then once we get them into a closed group, here we go. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, that's very wise counsel. And that kind of goes to that bed, that bed hopping. You know, we want to say, hey, no, we're, there's structured separation at that place where you're, you remove, yeah, and, and you, remove, you remove yourself from that situation. And then definitely would want to bring him in. And just the whole pastoral care with him of, hey, you've got to make a choice. You know, are you going to continue to run here? Who, you know, are you going to come here? Yes. Oh, yeah, no, mm-mm, no, mm-mm, mm-mm, man. Y'all are a quiet group. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, and tonight, 
if you come, we, we go through all of that process. Yeah, great question. We're going to talk about what that looks like, open group, closed group, how you get from one to the other. So, yeah, come, come tonight. So. I mean, just the whole part of there's broken, there's repentance, you know, and I don't even, I don't know if that guy's even at that place yet, but yeah, I mean, men definitely rally around him, get some time on the calendar with him and just begin discipling him. And if he truly has a desire to move toward health, then he's going to heed counsel of what these guys are asking him to do. And the same thing with her. She desires to move toward reconciliation then she's going to heed counsel to what the women are telling her to do. And yes. Most, most of them will say, hey, you know, in the very beginning of this, if you feel like, hey, a 36, 48-hour, you've you got to step away just to go process this. Again, but you want to be staying with somebody that's a friend of the marriage that's going to support you. Sometimes couples will do that. Um, some in a state of, man, he's just continuing to run to, run to, run to. You know, then we do a case-by-case discussion with them. And Obviously, we want them under the same roof, but I mean, if we're still trying to jump and go from, you know, one to the other, then sometimes that separation can be a little bit longer. Yeah, I know, I think it's time for, in the worship center, but I'll keep you. Very good question. We tried, we tried one-on-one counseling for probably about eight months. And it was just a cycle of just, it was, it was chaotic. We, we would try to move forward, but yet it just, those four things were just not in place. And so once we made the decision to, hey, we're going to give re-engage a shot, I mean, we got in, God did what only the Lord can do, and I mean, just the healing just expedited. Of course, then Rawls' piece came out later, you know, at the end, but the healing, the second go-round was much quicker than it was the first time. Y'all have been awesome. If you come tonight, you're going to hear a testimony. You'll get to come to leader meeting in the loft. You'll get to meet our leaders and ask them all kinds of questions. You'll get to come to the worship center tonight. You get to hear a live testimony from a couple. That story will really bless you. And then if you stay for newcomers or if you want to come and ask questions tonight after re-engage, you definitely can come do that. But y'all, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks. Thanks.